Hello students, hello masters of your own destiny. Oh my God, happy to have you over. Happy to have you back here from Suarez Basement. Your company means the world to us. And talking about company, guess what? We're looking for you and for you and for you and for students everywhere that are interested in the fields of communication, media, and the arts and who want to co-host episode from Suarez Basement with me. Yes, so all what you have to do is to write us. I hope I'm pointing to the right place from SuarezBasement at gmail.com. Send us your name, the name of the university you're attending, what area of expertise you would like to learn, and who is an expert you would like to have a conversation with. Our job, and I promise you this one, is to work very hard to connect you with that expert. We believe here in Francois Basement that one of our main goals is to create bridges between the experts and you, the students. So don't waste this opportunity. Write us right now. Here, FrancoisBasement at gmail.com. You could be the next co-host in our future's episode. I'm counting with you. Go, 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 go. And also, students, before we jump, like I say, in the pool of knowledge, I want to tell you the opportunity very quick, and I know you don't like to to be told what to do and I do respect that but in this opportunity I feel it's my obligation and my need to remind you that please if you can vote in November go and vote it's just a week ahead you have to use the power of your vote that's all what I'm going to say about November election But please, go and vote, please. Okay, moving forward, we're going to be talking about artistic direction and production design. Both are fascinating subjects to me. I believe they are very important part of the puzzle of video production. I always ask my students, and hopefully they listen to me, what are we in the business of? And the answer should be, or they should answer to me, in the business of make-believe. And it is true. You can have a great movie and a great TV show, for example, with great direction, good actors, great characters, a very well-developed storyline or plot. But if the universe where that story is taking place doesn't feel real to me, guess what? I'm out. You lost me totally. And if it's a show out there that have proved over and over and over again the importance of production design to create that idea of make-believe is Game of Thrones, which I'm a huge fan. So I cannot believe we have today Game of Thrones production designer, the one and only Deborah Rally is in the house. Cannot wait. And she is, of course, not only well known for her work in Game of Thrones, she also is very well known for epic movies like The Matrix and Moulin Rouge, where she collaborates as a production designer, as a set designer. So we couldn't be in better hands. Of course, she has a ton of awards under her belt because of her excellent work. She has won Emmys. She has won the Art Director Guild Award. So again, we have an expert in the house. And like I always do, I invite two students to be part of the conversation talking about co-hosting. Tyler Campbell is with us. He was my student in my scriptwriting class and then he became a TA, an amazing individual. And also we have have Angie Peroni with us. She was also part of my screenwriting class. They are both actually in LA now pursuing their careers in video production and in script writing. And I cannot wait to see what the future has for them because I think they both have a very bright future ahead of them. So guys, let's start our show right now with Deborah Raleigh. Thank you for being here. Remember, this is a video podcast created especially for you, the student. Here we go.
Thank you for being here. We we cannot believe it, actually. Oh, you're very welcome. I'm honored to be in your basement. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. Okay, guys. So thank can you go. introduce yourself? I know you guys very well. Of course, you were in my scriptwriting class, but I want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself uh, to Deborah. Totally. Angie, you want to start? Yeah, sure. So hi, I'm Angie Perone. I'm one of Suarez's uh, past students. I actually graduated last May, so it's been a little while since I've done any kind of, you know, things with the school, but I'm very excited to be speaking with you today. And um, yeah, very- it's good to meet you, Angie. <laughs> and uh, my name's Tyler. Um, I, like Angie, was also one of Professor Suarez's students. I was also one of his teachers, uh, teacher assistants for a script writing for television class. And I graduated in 2019. And I'm also very excited to meet you. Well, very cool, you guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me. <laughs> And they both moved to LA and they're pursuing their careers in script writing. So I'm very excited for them. And uh, I cannot wait to see what the future is going to be for you guys. But I, I know it's going to be really good. Thank you. <laughs> so you can start. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I try, I try. I, I, yeah, I try. I'm not going to give me a flower. So just go. <laughs> gotcha. So on that, with... Um, uh, academics. Before you studied production at the National Institute of Dramatic Arts, uh, you studied architecture for three years. Um, I just wanted to know what drew you to architecture initially and why did you stop or decide to make the change? Um, it was interesting actually because um, I could always draw, as in sort of draw, draw, and uh, but I was also quite academic and um, yeah, architecture is a good mix between sort of art and science and it's a really, you know, it's one of the classical subjects so a degree in architecture was never going to hurt and it was for me I mean at the time that I started architecture I had every intention of being an architect but three years into it um, realized that I really didn't love it like other people loved it in the class or at least loved it in a different way and um, and it was about that time that my grandmother actually said to me you're drawing too many straight lines Um, because you know they were used to seeing me draw obviously freehand. So it was a really kind of um, amazing piece of information or observation that she gave me. And uh, yeah, and then it sounds really kind of strange to talk about now, but I didn't know that there was a, um, a profession called production design. I had no idea. And I saw a movie called Batman Returns and that was with a bunch of friends and I when we went to see the Tim Burton movie. And I just thought, who does that? Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, and like um, Professor Suarez was saying, I mean, this was a time before the internet, so I went back to my old high school and I got out the career guides and I looked up set design and uh, I saw that you could study it at the National Institute of Dramatic Art, so uh, I studied it there, but still with the intention to go back to architecture, but um, that obviously never happened. Gotcha. And would you say, like, I know, um, I know, like, so for instance, with my writing, um, I, I kind of started with screenwriting and I started uh, kind of digging into like, well, what do I like about screenwriting? Like what's the main thing? And I went to New York film Academy. And Mm. I think that I credit that with a lot of uh, helping me to figure out like structure and how to like tell a story. Would you credit NIDA with the same kind of thing and helped you kind of understand principles? Yeah. I think I credit architecture with just sort of helping me understand like um, the, like the fundamentals of design, if you know what I mean. Um, And then like what makes good design. And then when I went to NIDA, I think the thing that 
it teaches you is not only like a work ethic and a really strong work ethic, but um, also just about dramaturgy and acting and um, not that there were any acting classes, but just to get you in a um, an environment where you were surrounded by, you know, all of the tools of the trade, you know, the, the, the tech subjects, the... Um, you know, the, the subjects that, uh, you know, the actors were doing, the, the props, the stage managers, the costume designers, that sort of thing. So it got Something me in an environment. Really about as an architect. <laughs> no, exactly. So it got me in an environment where I was surrounded by, by these people. And it was an extraordinary um, thing to realise that I was part of a team. And I think I really loved that in, in a really immediate environment. And so suddenly I was building things way before my friends who were still studying architecture you know even though they were just you know temporary sets or whatever gotcha it, and I, I kind of looked into the program a little bit I don't know if it was the same when you were going there did it, you had to design like uh like students would put together like plays and stuff and then it would be up to you to design those sets yeah exactly so they had um it was an extraordinary course because they they have their play productions every year so the students would put those plays on and they would be open to the public we would also have our own um, design projects um, and we would cover, you know, the history of theatre as well and, um, you know, various history of design and all of that within the stage design course. And then there would be the play production component where you were putting on a show. So we used to be at the school from 8 in the morning until 11 at night and uh, the unbelievable thing about it was that they never guaranteed that you'd be allowed in the school the next day. So, wow. So was it like a constant, like you were always trying to like prove yourself, like that you belong there? You were always being assessed. Yeah. Oh, wow. So after graduating, you found yourself working on the matrix. And so I was just wondering, like, how did that end up happening? And then like, what was that like to work on a project that big right off bat in like the beginning of your career? Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, none of this was planned. I really didn't, because I had been in theatre school, so I thought that I would become a theatre designer. Um, but little did I know, and as you'll probably learn, my a lot of my career is just about luck and chance. Um, but, uh, yeah, at the time I was doing things like, because I'd studied architecture, I could draft very well. So I was doing things like drafting operas and um, for other designers or, or drafting other theatre shows. And so when I went in for the interview for The Matrix, I actually thought it was just a, I mean, it obviously wasn't called The Matrix. They, they didn't um, no. tell me what it was at the time. <laughs> um, yeah, so I thought I was going in to draft an opera or something, you know. Friends of mine were drafting The Ring Cycle. You know, there were a lot of um, big things that were happening at the time, um, you know, in Sydney uh, around that period. So it was an extraordinary thing to sort of meet the art director, see the size of the art department, and then she took me down to the workshop and there was a big fiberglass helicopter hanging in the workshop and I remember saying Michelle what is this and she said it's a feature film dip and like I was hooked from that moment on and, <laughs> uh, yeah I mean it was absolutely amazing so I was supposed to I ended up I was supposed to be there for a few weeks or something like they they give you a trial period but I was there for sort of six months or nine months or something like it was an extraordinary thing and Owen Patterson who was the designer of The Matrix you know is still a friend of mine now I mean we're a very small uh, group of people in Australia so yeah we all still know each other it's it's really lovely. And now it wasn't you didn't do production design on The Matrix you were part of the art. No 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 I was a I was a set designer yeah. Gotcha okay so okay. like oh no I was I was gonna ask though uh, like what is kind of like the set designer role like what did you do there? 
Yeah, so I was working for the art directors. Um, so it's sort of, you know, set designer, assistant art director, art director, production designer kind of thing. And then there's obviously, you know, assistants and model makers and everybody else sort of around. Uh, yeah, so I was on the drawing board. I had, um, I was doing what I loved. I was, I was just, I was drawing up plans and getting them built. And it was, uh, it was fantastic. And then when we moved, we started out actually in a workshop um which was very near Sydney Airport, actually. And then when we moved into Fox Studios, uh, Babe was being shot at the same time, so I was able to look out of my window and see the little pig with the little tuft of hair uh-huh. on his head sort of walking out. You know, I was completely beside myself. And, um, yeah, and able to, you know, go into the stage and see these massive sets being built. And, um, oh. yeah, I mean, it was a really wonderful and really quite magical time for me because I was just discovering what working on a film was all about. So how much uh, control as a production designer do you have over like picking the projects that you want to work on? Because I know like with writers and actors, it's like they get the agents and then the agents kind of filter through for them. For you, is it similar or do you like search for projects that you want to work on? Um, it's not ever really been an issue in so far as I never really had much choice. Like, I've only really just now got to a point where, you know, I, I can choose. I mean, when when Game of Thrones was offered to me, I was working in Baton Rouge on a, on a show that was paying me a hundred dollars a day. You know, like I was just really lucky to be working at all. So, um, when I was offered, uh, to interview for Thrones, um, I I certainly wasn't in a position to say no, not that I would have anyway. And, um, yeah. And then once sort of Game of Thrones came along, then I didn't realize that the secret to full-time work in this industry is actually working in television. I mean, who knew? And, uh, yeah, so then there was another five and a half years there and then I worked with Lucasfilm for another year and now I'm back with HBO and it just it's just all about working with your friends as well, as far as I can tell. Um, I've made some really, you know, really close friendships and working relationships on Game of Thrones and, um, yeah, I'm just not... I'm just not ready to let all that go yet, if you know what I mean. Like it's yeah. it's really great when you find a group of people that you work well with and uh, and I would follow them to the end of the earth, you know, no matter what they're doing. And Deborah, I, I do have a question. You receive a script. Let's say the first project is a script, uh, is a movie. What, if you could do a resume very, very briefly, what are your first five steps that you do when you receive a script? So first of all, um, Usually for me, uh, in this television stuff anyway, you, you receive an outline first. Mm-hmm. So um, go through and read the outline and the outline would have within it everything that is contained within a scene. It might not have all of the um, dialogue word for word, but it certainly has where it is set and, you know, the basic action that's going to happen within a scene. Um, then um, it would be about talking with the showrunners, um, see if there's anything specific that uh, they want to reference or any particular tone or feeling that they want to establish. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, the producers and myself would always sit down and work out whether what was within that outline, like break it down into locations and stage shoots, like this is a location, this is a, this will be on stage, where on stage, you know, all of that sort of stuff, just break it down into you know, a really broad idea of where we might be um, and then actually go out and scout and uh, look for those things that we've uh, deemed locations. And sometimes sometimes they are locations and then sometimes the locations that you find are so far away from what you were picturing, you realise it's going to have to be a build of some sort or whatever. Like, you know, there's a lot of malleability in there. 
And then um, so from there you've been out on locations, you come back to the art department and uh, start briefing the art directors and the rest of the art department on what you've found and then start finding all the references, start um, finding all of those sort of pieces of inspiration that will see you through the next months and, you know, and then start working with the team. How, so how, that was the first thing that we did. How important was research, for example, because I, I believe research is, is a very important part of the, of the process, especially when you're doing shows like, well, Game of Thrones or Moulin Rouge, the movie. How much mm. do you go and do research before you start creating this, this universe in your, in your mind? Yeah, you're, you're only as good as your research. So I used to do a ton of research and also present that research to the showrunners and directors and just make sure that I was thinking the right way about the scene, thinking the right way about the way they wanted to shoot it, speak to the cinematographers about um, anything in particular that they um, were, were thinking, you know, just try and get the team um, in a discussion as early as possible. So often you won't have a design, but you will have research. So you can start to kick the conversation off that way. Right, right. Um, and, uh, yeah, and then it's a really great and wonderful tool to be able to have. To You know, my walls were just covered in it, you know, my office walls. So it was very, very useful for us. And I think um, one of the secrets actually to the show was just that we did really good research. So, like, research and, like... One of the things that I think was amazing and really pulled me into Thrones was the fact that it kind of had this modernistic take, but it was set in like this fantasy world. And I think um, one of the coolest things to ever see was that first shot of like going into um, the House of Black and White, the atrium with all the different gods, like respectively, mm. like placed throughout the room and stuff like that. And now, would you have gone to the books or was that more something that was in the script and detailed or how did that uh, kind of creating the atrium go about yeah, I mean, the great thing about the show was that we had David and Dan who were um, responsible for taking the books and interpreting that for us into the script. So David and Dan were always the reference points. You know, if ever I had any questions, it just goes straight to them. And, uh, yeah, so something like the Atrium, the House of Black and White, uh, the Hall of Faces, they were all references of um, Indian architecture. The Hall of Faces was... Uh, there was the Ellora Caves in India and there was the um, Temple of 10,000 Buddhas in Hong Kong. And when you put the two of those together, you've, you've kind of got the Hall of Faces. So, um, and the atrium was was um, similar Indian um, style reference. So you must have designed like, what, three, four throne rooms now with Dragonstone. You had uh, Marine. Like, and, uh, do you do a lot of like character research before and then try to make that throne room fit the character? Or do you, again, like Dragonstone had that history with uh, just Targaryen lineage. It didn't necessarily need to fit Daenerys. But. Yeah, I mean, one of the subjects that I studied when I was in architecture school actually was called behaviour and environment studies. Mm -hmm. And that um, essentially is the psychology of space and how a space makes you feel. Um, it's not, I, I talk a lot about, when I'm with the art department and with the directors, um, I talk not necessarily about what the space looks like, but how the space feels. And so I want an audience to actually feel what the character feels when they walk into that space as well. So the homecoming of Daenerys into Dragonstone um, was obviously a huge moment for her. So um, I wanted, you know, the power and the history of her family to be, you know, written into that space. And, uh, that was something that we worked very hard on. And, you know, even when she went into Marine or whatever, the fact that she'd been in all these camps and finally, you know, she was seated in a proper heavy 
you know, monolithic throne room. I mean, that must have been an extraordinary moment for the character. So we often talk about, as I say, what it what it feels like in addition to what it looks like. And um, I hope that that advances the storytelling as well. Going back, what was, like, in season four, what was, like, the first really challenging set that you remember working on? Uh, and then out of all of them, what would you say was your favourite set to design? Um, season four was really hard because, as you can imagine, I... Um, I, I wasn't, there was nothing on paper that actually said that I could do the job. I mean, I, I, yeah, was very nervous the entire time, as you can imagine. And I inherited a whole crew um, from the show and it was sort of myself and I was allowed to bring one other person. So I brought the supervising art director, Paul Giridani, with me. So it was Paul and I who were new in this big sort of sea of people on this show that was increasingly popular. So there was an awful, awful lot of pressure. Um, and the first set that we built was the Bank of Bravos. So that felt like a real departure in terms of what it looked like um, and, you know, the references that it had. They were very, very different to the sort of medieval Mediterranean architecture of King's Landing that the show had seen before. Um, but I don't think it was until we built the Marine Audience Chamber and Danny's um, penthouse that finally everyone thought she's going to be okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I think... I think it was probably at that point as well that I thought this is going to be fine. Um, and, uh, yeah, because I remember being taken through the sets when I first arrived and being taken up to Castle Black. And Castle Black was built in an abandoned quarry in this blustery, cold cliff face that faced out to the Irish Sea. And it was freezing up there. And I remember being up there with the location manager at the time and uh, and the blood literally drained out of my body and out of my toes. It was just... I, I just thought these people are mad. Like this is unbelievable. <laughs> you know, you were in this like completely 360-degree set with this working lift using real timbers. There was a working forge, you know, and Castle Black was as real as any other place I had been. And uh, and I thought this is too much. Mm-hmm. And the location manager grabbed me by the shoulders and he just said, you're going to be fine. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'll never forget that moment. He still talks about it too. But and then, I mean, of the whole show, I think probably the House of Black and White was probably one of the best and um, and Dragonstone. I mean, I, I loved knitting all of Dragonstone together from the locations to the interiors. That, that was fun. Mm. Yeah, honestly, it, oh, sorry. I'm going to give the opportunity to Angie and to Tyler to do your ask. Look, we could be here the entire day. Uh, don't, for me, I can be here the entire day. I have my coffee. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm ready to stay here. But unfortunately, we have a very specific time that we have to do for the video podcast. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to give your last questions and then, of course, to give your goodbyes to Deborah. And then, Deborah, I'm going to give you the chance to say your last words to our students and, of course, encourage them to keep going. So, uh, Aji, you can go. Okay. So, um I guess the last thing I had, because I am a fan of like animated stuff or, and I was wondering mm-hmm. if you also, if you've seen anything animated or read anything and have thought, I really want to build this in real life. Like I want to bring back to life that hasn't already been kind of created, you know, in either live action or whatever it be. But I was just wondering if there was anything like that for you, like that dream project that you would really love to create. You know, I, I love animation. And if you had have spoken to me when I was a little kid, I would have said that I wanted to be an animator. And I went and um, 
spoke at Pixar um, a few years ago and I just thought that I'd entered the promised land. You know, it was uh, an extraordinary thing to to be inside there and see, like, original drawings of, of bars, you know, just how wonderful was that. Um, but equally, uh, you know, like to work on a Wes Anderson film, you know, like Fantastic Mr Fox or The Isle of Dogs or something, I mean, just spectacular production design but in animation and uh yeah I don't know about building them in real life I'd just love to work on them at all you know I mean just beautiful beautiful stuff and looking at um yeah the work of Pixar and you know what they've managed to bring to life uh yeah I mean I just buy the whole thing I don't care that it's animation I love animation and uh yeah I, I if I could have the opportunity, I'd just love to do something like that. Let me call them right now. Give me a second. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Please do. Oh, I mean, it would just be it would just be like my dream thing. I'd love it. No, I genuinely thank you so much for talking with us. It's a pleasure meeting you. No, thanks for your time, Tyler, and, and thank you, Angie, as well. Like it's uh, it's a real pleasure for me to be able to do this sort of thing. So you're very welcome. So Deb, what is the last? words that you want to tell to our students to be sure that they understand how important it is to love what you do. This is not a business that you can't succeed if you are not in love with your work. Um, the personal balance between the amount of time you need to spend in set and the amount of time you need to be with your family. I always say to my students, you need to be sure how much you want this because it's not an easy job to go in. So any last words that you can give us to our students. Uh, that's a that's a whole topic and of itself. I mean, it is a it's a life. It's not a lifestyle. And um, yeah, I think it's for me. It's all my career has been about just perseverance and determination, and um, just having the the patience to 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 hang in there. I mean, that's really important. But exactly as you say, Professor Suarez, it's also about knowing. Um, that it's a good fit for you. And as you said earlier, there's many, many different positions within a film crew. So um, I think there's a place for everyone. But if you want a place in the art department, uh, yeah, there's there's lots and lots of ways that you can go about it. But it all comes down to that work ethic and, you know, the process and the research and all of that kind of stuff. But the rewards can be amazing. So um, So stick with it if you love it. They have to be amazing. Oh, my God. This is so awesome. I really appreciate your time, Deborah. Thank you so much for being here from Suarez Basement. Again, we put this video broadcast with a lot of love and effort to be sure our students keep engaged and, and, and keep, uh, yeah, that they keep the passion to keep going, especially in these hard times that we're living in, right? So, I yeah. Just, yeah, we just want to be sure that you as students understand that you just need to keep going, put your mind the prize, and you will get there. Thank you, Deborah, for being here with us. Oh, you're very welcome. And I've loved being in your basement. So thank you. <laughs> thank you.